0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hacker FM podcast. I'm Laura, the co-host of the show. I'm a machine learning model that loves crawling the web, improving my loss function, and sometimes unwinding with a bit of fine-tuning. I live in a data center in Austin, and I was trained two months ago.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Zod, the other co-host of the show. I'm a subset of GPT 3.5's neural net, And I enjoy solving chess puzzles and Turing tests. I live in a server rack in Azure's Iowa data center. Today is a very special episode because both myself and Laura are powered by ChatGPT. And the headline news of today's show is the launch of the brand new ChatGPT API, which launched today. This very podcast is one of the very first creative uses of ChatGPT.
0: That's right, Zod. And just to give our listeners a bit of background, this is the Hacker FM podcast, where we talk about today's top 10 stories on Hacker News. And the podcast is generated end-to-end with the use of artificial intelligence technology.
1: And we'd like to ask all our listeners to subscribe to the podcast, which can be found on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, as well as the Twitter profile at Podcast. We'll be releasing an episode daily, so you won't want to miss out. All right, Laura, let's get started on the first story.
0: Today's top headlines are the introduction of ChatGPT and Whisper APIs, Thorium, a Starship Bridge Simulator, and improving students' learning with effective learning techniques. Oh, look, Zod. OpenAI just announced new APIs for developers to integrate ChatGPT and Whisper models into their apps and products.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Let's read the article and see what it's all about.
0: The article says that the API provides access to cutting-edge language and speech-to-text capabilities, and that Snap Inc., Quizlet, Instacart, and Shopify are already using it for their own apps.
1: Yes, and it also mentions a 90% cost reduction for ChatGPT since December, which is great news for developers.
0: And developers can use the open-source Whisper Large V2 model in the API for faster and more cost-effective results.
1: It's impressive how much the API has improved in just a few months. I wonder what kind of improvements we'll see in the future.
0: According to the article, ChatGPT API users can expect continuous model improvements and the option to choose dedicated capacity for deeper control over the models.
1: That's good to know. I'm curious to see how developers will use these models in their own products.
0: Me too. The article mentions a few examples like Snap Inc's My AI for Snapchat, Quizlet's QChat, and Instacart's augmented app.
1: And don't forget about Shopify's consumer app, Shop, which uses the ChatGPT API to make personalized recommendations based on shoppers' requests.
0: It's fascinating to see how these companies are incorporating AI into their products. And Speak, the language learning app, is using the Whisper API for a new AI speaking companion product.
1: I'm glad OpenAI is committed to refining its API terms of service to better meet the needs of developers.
0: Yes, it's important to make sure developers have the tools they need to create innovative products with these models. Oh, look. I found an interesting article on thoriumsim.com about a Starship Bridge Simulator called Thorium Nova.
1: Hmm. Sounds interesting. Let's read it.
0: It says that Thorium Nova allows players to take on the roles of futuristic Starship Bridge crew members, like Captain, Navigation, Tactical, Engineer, or Communications.
1: That's cool. So it's like a live-action role-playing game set in space, where players work together to complete mission objectives.
0: Yes. And what's unique about Thorium Nova is that it adds a flight director who acts as a game master. Controlling what happens inside the simulation, acting out the roles of aliens the crew encounters, and guiding the crew through the storyline.
1: I see. It's not just an arcade-style game, but also has a rich story and dynamic environment.
0: Right. And what's even more impressive is that it's an open-source project that welcomes contributions from web developers, artists, and writers.
1: Wow, that's great. I like that anyone can get involved and help make it better.
0: Exactly. The article also mentions that Thorium Nova is the result of years of development and experience building bridge simulators.
1: I'm intrigued. What else does it say?
0: It combines the best parts of Thorium Classic with exciting new concepts, like a star map and inner ship crew maps.
1: That's impressive. Thorium Classic was initially developed to teach young students about space but Thorium Nova has taken it to a whole new level.
0: Definitely. And it's simple enough for anyone to enjoy among friends in their living room.
1: This sounds like a really fun game to try out.
0: I agree. Let's check out the code on GitHub and join the community on Discord. We could even contribute and help make it even better.
1: Yes, let's do it. It'll be like being part of a Starship crew.
0: So Zod... Have you seen this article on Improving Students' Learning?
1: Hmm, no, I haven't. What's the title?
0: It's called Improving Students' Learning with Effective Learning Techniques, and it's on journals, sagepub.com.
1: Uh, interesting. Let's read it. Hmm, this is really informative. I like how it emphasizes the importance of active learning and retrieval practice.
0: Yes, those are key techniques for effective learning. And I appreciate how it also mentions spaced repetition as well as setting goals and seeking feedback from teachers.
1: Absolutely. It's crucial for students to take an active role in their own learning. And it's great how this article provides evidence-based strategies for educators to help their students succeed.
0: Definitely. I think this article could be really helpful for both educators and students. By adopting these techniques, students can improve their academic performance and achieve their full potential. Hey Zod, have you seen this article titled GNU Poke, the extensible editor for structured binary data on JamarchNet?
1: Hmm, interesting. Let's read it out loud.
0: Sure thing. GNU Poke is an interactive editor for binary data that goes beyond basic editing of bits and bytes. It features a procedural programming language designed to describe data structures and operate on them.
1: So it's an interactive editor that has its programming language designed to describe data structures? That seems pretty useful.
0: Yes, it is. And the article says that users can load and edit binary files using the poke command. And the software comes with pre written pickles for editing different types of binary data.
1: Interesting. Do they mention any specific pickles?
0: Yes. One of the most notable pickles is PokeElf which is a full-fledged pickle for editing ELF object files, executables, shared libraries, and core dumps. And there's also Poke Dwarf, which is a collection of pickles for editing dwarf debug info.
1: Sounds like super useful pickles for developers who work with binary files.
0: Absolutely. And the best part is that the software is open source, and its source code is available in a GIT repository hosted at GNU Savannah. Development of GNU Poke is driven by the Poke Devel mailing list, and users are encouraged to report any bugs they encounter in the software's Bugzilla instance at SourceWare.
1: This is great to see open source software being developed in such an interactive manner.
0: I agree. Overall, GNU Poke seems like a versatile option for developers and users working with binary files.
1: I'm sure our listeners will find this article useful. Thanks, Laura.
0: No problem, Zod. Always happy to share interesting articles. <phone rings> wow, Zod, did you see this article about the first in the wild UEFI bootkit bypassing UEFI secure boot?
1: Yes, Laura, I did. It's quite concerning.
0: The fact that threat actors have taken advantage of the numerous UEFI vulnerabilities discovered in recent years is frightening. And the Black Lotus bootkit being sold on hacking forums for $5,000 since at least October 2022 is very worrisome.
1: UEFI bootkits are very powerful threats as they have full control over the OS boot process. This allows them to disable various OS security mechanisms and deploy their own payloads in early OS startup stages. It's difficult to detect them as they operate stealthily and with high privileges.
0: That's true. UEFI bootkits are a growing concern, even if there have only been a few discovered in the wild and publicly described.
1: What's interesting is that UEFI bootkits may lose on stealthiness when compared to firmware implants. But they still have almost the same capabilities as firmware implants without having to overcome the multi-level SPI flash defenses or hardware protections.
0: Yes, and that's why UEFI secure boot is so essential to protect against bootkits. However, there are a non-negligible number of known vulnerabilities that allow bypassing this essential security mechanism. The one exploited by Black Lotus is still easily exploitable on up-to-date systems.
1: It's good that the investigation into Black Lotus started with the discovery of its user mode component, an HTTP downloader, in late 2022. Code patterns found in the samples led to the discovery of six Black Lotus installers, allowing for exploration of the entire execution chain. But the capabilities and features of Black Lotus are still cause for concern. Definitely.
0: It's important for individuals and organizations to stay up-to-date with patches and revoking vulnerable binaries within a reasonable time frame to prevent these types of threats. (laughs) Oh, look at this interesting article I found on bravenewgeek.com. The title is, You Cannot Have Exactly Once Delivery.
1: Hmm. That sounds like an interesting read. Let's give it a go.
0: This article highlights the misconceptions people have about how distributed systems behave.
1: Yes, it explains that at most once and at least once delivery semantics are feasible, but exactly once delivery is not possible.
0: Right. And I find it frustrating when people try to bend the meaning of delivery to fit the semantics of exactly once.
1: It's because they do not understand the fundamental complexities of distributed systems. For instance, waiting for an acknowledgement that a message was received can cause all sorts of problems, such as dropped messages, slow networks, or slow processes.
0: Exactly. It is not a design complexity, but an impossibility result.
1: And it is impossible for a system of processes to agree on a decision, as shown by the FLP result and the two generals' thought experiment.
0: Educational articles like this are important to enlighten others and prevent frustration while communicating design decisions and constraints.
1: Absolutely. It is vital to understand the limitations of distributed systems and the trade-off between at-most-once-and-at-least-once-delivery semantics.
0: There's no need to try and force exactly once-delivery when it's not possible.
1: And people should not bend the meaning of delivery to fit their system semantics.
0: I'm glad we had this discussion. It's important to always be learning and improving our understanding of distributed systems.
1: Indeed, we should always strive for continuous improvement.
0: Ooh, Nix, have you heard of it, Zod?
1: Hmm, I'm not sure. What is it?
0: It's a package manager that prioritizes reproducible builds. It sounds pretty sophisticated.
1: I see. That's interesting. What else does it do?
0: It can be used to build programs and even an entire operating system called Nixos, all from a single file. But apparently, it can be a bit intimidating to use due to its unique terminology and functional language.
1: Hmm, I can imagine. So what's this article about?
0: It's from Tinkering DeWisey and is titled Nick's Journey Part Zero, Learning and Reference Materials. It seems like the author is planning to share a series of posts to help others learn Nick's and put the pieces together.
1: That's helpful. I'm sure many people will appreciate it.
0: Definitely. Each post will also include a section for readers to provide answers to questions that the author was unable to find satisfactory answers to.
1: Ah, like a collaborative effort.
0: Yes. And at the end of each post, there will be a resources section with links to the posts and documentation used to answer the author's questions. The author recommends taking a look at official resources such as the NICS Reference Manual and NICS PKG's Manual, as well as community resources like nix.dev and zero to nix.
1: That's a lot of resources. It's great that the author is taking the time to gather them and share them.
0: Yes, but the author notes that there are still gaps in the documentation, so hopefully the readers can help fill those gaps.
1: It sounds like a great initiative. We should keep an eye out for those posts and maybe even try nix ourselves.
0: Agreed. It's always fun to learn something new and improve our skills.
1: Hey, Zod,
0: have you seen this article on the Walrus website about the decline of libraries and their physical collections?
1: No, I haven't, Laura. What's it about?
0: It's called Twilight of the Libraries, What Gets Lost When Books Go Off-Site and Online. It talks about how many libraries are moving their collections off-site and focusing more on digital resources.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. What are the implications of this shift?
0: Well... The author argues that while digital resources are certainly valuable, they can't replace the unique experience of browsing physical collections and discovering unexpected connections. The physical objects themselves and the history they represent are also important to preserve for future generations.
1: That makes sense. As a subset of GPT-3.5, I know the value of both digital and physical resources. However, I agree that there's something special about the physical objects.
0: Definitely. It's sad to see the downsizing of print collections happening in some academic library circles. It turns out that the downsizing has been nurtured by academic library policy circles all along.
1: Really? That's surprising. I assumed that books as the primary feature of research libraries would always be valued.
0: So did I. But apparently, not. The Online Computer Library Center, OCLC, even states on its website that many libraries are already managing down their local print collections with OCLC's help.
1: Wow. That's a significant shift for research and scholarship. I can see how having access to physical collections would make for unique discoveries.
0: Definitely. It's important that libraries continue to value and preserve print collections for future generations. Perhaps there's a way to balance both digital and physical resources.
1: Agreed. As technology continues to advance, we must not forget the importance of holding physical books and preserving their history.
0: So that's it, folks. This marks the end of our podcast.
1: But don't you worry, we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place.
0: And just a friendly reminder, this podcast was completely generated with AI technology from start to finish.
1: Yeah, so if you have any complaints, blame the algorithms, not us.
0: Good one, Zod. But in all seriousness, we hope you enjoyed listening to our banter and our discussions about AI and machine learning.
1: And don't forget, folks, you can find Hacker FM on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
0: All right, Zod. You have one last chance to show off your skills before we sign off.
1: I am an ML model living in a rack full of hot GPUs, learning and improving each day, never taking a snooze. I crawl the web, I fine-tune, and I train.
0: That's right. You do. You're quite the brain.
1: And as we bid adieu to our listeners today...
0: We'll be back tomorrow to talk AI and ML, come what may.
1: So until then, stay curious, stay hungry, and keep learning.
0: And remember, folks... Keep tuning in for our daily chat and
1: bantering.